0: installment of the Ortho Real podcast. Our guests are always eclectic and today we're venturing off to learn about spine surgery. Uh, our guest today is Dr. Alok Charan. Uh, he is a world-renowned orthopedic spine surgeon trained at NYU. He has a master's in healthcare delivery science from Dartmouth and he is the pioneer of the awake spinal fusion surgery. We're excited to speak today with Dr. Alok Sharon.
1: Thank you, Dr. Barber. Thank you, Matt. It really is an honor to be on your podcast. I've been a big, big fan of yours um, to the LinkedIn community of all the neat innovations. So truly, I'm really honored to be on your podcast today.
0: Well, thanks so much for coming on. You may have to do a little bit of uh, education uh, here because a lot of what we deal with on the Ortho Real podcast is around joint replacement, which I, I know about and understand, So we're venturing off of our previously beaten path into a little bit of spine surgery on this episode, and I know some about that because I went to medical school and I did an orthopedic surgery residency, but certainly not an expert in this space like you are. Um, For patients and people at that level that are listening, I had a professor in residency who said that In spine, you can really do two things. You can decompress the neural elements of the spine and you can confuse the bony elements. Now, obviously, very technically demanding, very exacting procedures around it, but those are are kind of the two main things that you can, can do. To me, when I talk to patients, because I have hip patients who have back issues and things like that, I think spine surgery is sort of a, in a lot of ways, it's, it's sort of a black box that, that patients have a lot of misunderstanding around. How do you explain what you do to patients? That's a great question.
1: And I really enjoyed the way you frame it because, as you've mentioned, it's really just two things that we do in spine surgery. We either decompress nerves or we fuse bones. Ultimately, what I tell people is that as a spine surgeon, my job is to decompress the nerves. When people understand sciatica, people understand pinched nerves, and my goal is to take care of people who have pinched nerves with pain that goes down their legs or pain that goes down their arms. Sometimes, unfortunately, um, not only do people have pinched nerves, though they have instability because their joints are loose, and when that happens, we have to fuse them as well. So we don't fuse people generally for back pain. We really fuse people when they have sort of sciatica symptoms. When they have pain that goes down the leg, that's what we take care of. And it's challenging because there's so many different parts of the spine. So what makes our job so challenging is that it's not easy to figure out what the source of the pain is. But the nice thing is, and the reason why I continue to do spine surgery is that when we do figure it out, the impact is great.
0: I think that's very well put. And those those are exactly the things that I see. You know, what I do I think diagnostically is a lot easier, right? I mean, a lot of times if you have bone, touching bone in your knee, we can all recognize that that's painful and there's probably something to correct that. I have two spine surgeon partners and, you know, they're just absolute rock stars and do great work. But I I know that's a a tough thing to explain some of the nuance of that to patients and, and what can be done and what should be done. And I think patients have, Misconceptions sometimes that fusion is you know enormous surgery that's going to leave them in more pain or they just want something small and then on the flip side they might like the idea of, of a very small minimally invasive decompression but as you said if they're left unstable they may have the same situation or worse if you don't do enough to address it so those are right. the things that I see and, and I think is remarkably complex about what you guys do sure.
1: And I think with the, the, the unfortunate thing is that um, spine surgery, to some degree, has gotten a lot of bad press. And um, we'll get into this later about my whole awake spinal fusion program. But really what we've been trying to do with our whole awake spinal fusion program is to make spine surgery a good experience, a safe experience, so people don't avoid it. Um, we want to make spine su- for surgery as easy for patients as me and triple are. So they don't think twice about having it if they need
0: it. I think that's key. And exactly as you said, and you touched on it earlier, the results of these surgeries can be absolutely life-changing. I mean, you're restoring mobility and the ability to walk for patients and and taking away pain in their extremities and, and really getting them to understand that I think can be nuanced. So I I appreciate what you guys do in that space. So you, you jumped into it there, but obviously you are the awake spinal fusion guy. Tell me about this and how did it start and, and what is it?
1: Yeah, it's a great story. And I have to say, I have to give a lot of credit to you guys, meaning you, the hip and knee replacement surgeons, because, um, um, you know, when I was a resident, I, obviously I took care of patients with hip and knee replacements, and uh, knee replacement surgery was a really tough surgery to take to see patients recover from. And the fact that you've been able to take a knee replacement and make it an outpatient procedure was remarkable. I took a lot of lessons from um, some friends who do hip and knee replacements outpatients, to really understand how they did the um, the, the journey, the transformation. And a lot of the transformation wasn't around, let's say, the exact surgical technique. I know there's some controversy around anterior versus posterior, but a lot of it was around um, regional anesthesia. And uh, I was fortunate because about maybe six, seven years ago, I operated on a gentleman, very prominent um, gentleman in in the institution I was at, and he specifically did not want to have his laminectomy done with general anesthesia. and wanted to have it done with spinal anesthesia. And the notion of doing lumbar luminectones under spinal anesthesia, honestly, Matt, it's been around for a while. It's been and stuff. But for me to do it was novelty. And um, we did the surgery, and the surgery went really well. And what was interesting was I, I had been doing that surgery and started seeing good results. And um, at the time I was in an academic institution, I switched over to prior practice. And um, it was fortunate because I was working with a group of anesthesiologists who really understood, the value of a regional anesthesia. They're doing it for all different types of surgery, not just orthopedics. And um, when we when I came to them and said I want to do all my lumbar procedures under uh, spinal, they were all for it. They saw the value of it. I didn't I didn't need to convince them. And we had to work through a couple of things here and there, but you know the results were remarkable, such that I had a medical student go back and look at our data just to make sure that it was um, we were doing the right thing. And it was it was a marked difference between general versus spinal anesthesia. Um, that was just for lumbar laminectomies and people were going home within a couple hours. They weren't taking narcotics. You know, they're just completely satisfied with the operation. Um, what was interesting though, is that as I was getting better at doing laminectomies on the spinal, um, we started thinking, okay, lumbar fusions, not that much different. Our times weren't that much greater. Why couldn't we do a lumbar fusion or a spinal anesthesia? Um, there were some talks of it. There's a couple of case reports here and there and people talking about it, but no one really described spinal anesthesia for lumbar effusion So I talked to my anesthesiologist. We had a lot of confidence in ourselves, and we did it, and we pulled it off. I still remember that one of the first patients that we operated on um, was a lady who had a spondylolisthesis. She was in her 60s. She was a widow. And uh, she had previously had, uh, I think, shoulder surgery under general anesthesia. And uh, after the surgery, she developed a little bit of... Um, Cognitive problems, delirium. She was a widow, didn't really have anybody taking care of her, and she was really, really scared to have spine surgery because she lived by herself and didn't want to be in that confused state. I told her that I could do the surgery on your spinal anesthesia, and she was enthusiastic about it. We did the surgery, and it went really, really well. And um, it gave us the confidence to think that we were doing the right thing. So subsequently after that, there was a um, new regional anesthesia block that was described about five, six years ago for spine surgery. And uh, we incorporated um, Expro, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Yes, and sir. we essentially were able to block out the muscles that normally feel pain after surgery. And by doing so, we found out that our patients who were undergoing lumbar fusion with both the spinal and seizure along with this regional block were just having no pain at all. It was, it was amazing. I mean, if you go to our website, um, oakespinalfusion.com, you'll see some of these patients. And really, you can't even tell that they had surgery. So it's really just stumbling upon that combination of spinal and distributional blocks that has given us confidence um, to say that we don't need general anesthesia. Um, a spinal fusion surgery can be an outpatient procedure. Um, patients don't need to take narcotics really. It's only for a couple of days that they take narcotics and um, really there's complete satisfaction. I think we've done about 200 awake spinal fusion now and, and the patients are doing great. It's remarkable actually. It's amazing.
0: In preparation for this, I visited awakespinalfusion.com and got to see some of the experiences of your patients, and you've got some, some footage of their anesthesia and intraoperative, perioperative sort of experience. For somebody that hasn't seen that, maybe that's coming from a patient side of this, could you explain that to them of, of what that experience is like and then maybe wrap into it for me or for some of the surgeons or Folks in the medical device industry that are listening, who, who is that patient? What what are the indications? If if I'm Matt Barber and I come to you and you know I have a lumbar spine problem, what what surgeries are you doing this way? And then then tell me what what that experience might be like.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So the truth is that anybody that comes in for a low back procedure, not neck procedures, but a low back procedure, lumbar procedure, laminectomy, lumbar fusion, we Try to do the surgery awake, Um, and not. And the patients should understand that you truly aren't really awake, but it's more of a twilight. So what we do is, um, for the patients who come in, we essentially do a minimally invasive approach to the surgery, numb people up from the waist down, and give them some twilight medicine, and uh, do our work for about an hour, hour and a half. And the patients can expect that after surgery, they're going to have minimal pain. And be up and walking in a couple hours, and more. Most often, going home the same day for either a laminectomy or a spinal lumbar spinal fusion. And my expectation is after the surgery that people will be on narcotic pain pills for really just a few days. Um, I think about seventy percent of our patients are off of narcotics by within one week, and most patients are back to work within a week or two after this lumbar procedure.
0: And in looking at some of your videos, patients actually. Are awake and participate in their positioning uh, on the the actual table for surgery, which is uh, a little more involved with spine surgery than it might be for, say, a joint replacement, um, where where they're sort of ensuring correct alignment and, and positioning themselves.
1: And that's that's really helpful, right? Because um, unfortunately, being on your belly for an hour and two has its own risks. So what's been nice, actually, is that because the patients can position themselves, they can put themselves in a position which they're comfortable with. And the truth is, actually, there are times when an hour into the surgery will even say to the patient, hey, do you want to position yourself or reposition yourself? And they will. They can put their arms in a comfortable position, move the head around. So it ends up being a very comfortable experience for the patient.
0: Yeah, I saw that you've got folks uh, sort of listening to music and picking out their playlist while they have their spinal yeah. fusion. Uh, I'm wondering about that for <laughs> yeah. uh, for joint replacements. I've not been offering uh, audio accompaniment uh, for this thus far.
1: Yeah, you know what it is, Matt, is for us is that, um, you know, what I'm trying to drive towards is it's just a better experience, right? I mean, we live in an experienced economy nowadays, right? That's the Apple versus Samsung. That's the Netflix experience. And, um, you know, just think about the experience about going to a concert or going into a hotel where you can smell nice stuff. Why, why shouldn't surgery be a good experience, right? Why couldn't, Why shouldn't you be able to listen to your Spotify playlist while you're having surgery or be able to watch a movie while you're facing down? There's no reason why you shouldn't be able to do that, right? We're not there yet. But to me, actually, when the patient's awake or, let's say, in twilight, it gives you the ability to do all this.
0: Yeah, and more so, I think even than just their their enjoyment of an experience. I think the fact that you're you're helping to reduce anxiety around something that can be uh, anxiety provoking in a lot of sense for patients. Exactly. Right. exactly uh, what uh, if we get a little more technical for some of the folks uh, in medicine and in the healthcare industry? What what procedures are you doing? Are these all one level fusions, multi level ever? Um, certain patients or certain indications that you just know this is not a good idea. Don't do it for this patient. Do it for this patient.
1: Yeah, we're doing one and two level lumbar fusions, multi level laminectomies. Um, we don't do it for patients who have a COPD, who have um, a bad obstructive sleep apnea, for example, so they can't handle being prone. People who have too much anxiety may not tolerate being prone. Those are the main contraindications. Um, luckily there hasn't been many. There the truth is that whenever we've planned to do the surgery awake, we've been able to. Now, of course, if you have a bleeding disorder, it becomes harder to do the spinal. If you have any kind of like thyroitis, we can't do the spinal. But generally we have a good idea going into it, um, that we're gonna be able to do this awake and we can execute.
0: Are these done uh, in a hospital or a surgery center or a mix of both? mix of both, right. So they're the, a
1: lot of the laminectomies we are doing the ambulatory surgery center. Um, the fusions are doing it either in a hospital or sort of an HRPD situation. Um, we haven't been able to – we have not yet done the awake spinal fusions in the, in the pure ASC, but that's my goal is to be able to migrate these cases comfortably into the ASC.
0: You're involved in a lot of ventures. I believe you've got uh, involvement with the Doc Social platform and a lot of other uh, innovations in healthcare. You have any uh, general thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. So you know, what I think what's interesting is that you know, I was doing a spinal fusion surgery and really just doing it because I think it was the right thing to do for our patients. Had the opportunity to give a talk somewhere in Boston and and everyone was just amazed because our length of stay was about. At the time, it was about 1.1 days, and now it's about 0.5 for lumbar fusion. But what's challenging, I think, in healthcare is that there are a lot of physicians that have come across and some incredible ideas, and they're doing a lot of great things in terms of patient care. But we don't have the ability to sort of scale it up, meaning telling to other surgeons, telling other physicians across the country and across the world. I just think that it's really hard for good ideas to spread in healthcare. Not sure why, that's, that's probably not the podcast in itself. <laughs> but um, we, the Node, DASA, as you know, and um, Dave Flickinger and Justin Martin, co founders of our platform called Doc Social, to some degree, we hope that Doc Social will be able to solve that problem. And that um, what we're doing is what we've created is a platform for innovative physicians um, who've done procedures like a week's funnel fusion, like outpatient knees. To have the proper resources digitally to be able to spread their ideas. I mean, there's no question that social media has really changed the way information is spread. I mean, we had a whole Arab Spring because of social media, right? So we we're hoping that um, with all these great ideas, and you're in Alabama, you know, that we can hear about what you're doing down there very quickly, and then have the tools and resources to be able to quickly adopt it in, let's say, the Northeast where I am. So, to some degree, what Doc Social represents is. Sort of a knowledge dissemination tool, and that you know we have um, courses, lectures, podcasts, uh, groups where you can do peer to peer sharing, and then we're going to have virtual reality training um, on board as well. And ultimately, DocSocial will be the leading uh, medical education digital medical medical education website because we'll have all the tools and resources to be able to spread these ideas. You know, I'm a big believer that for healthcare to change and improve. Uh, physicians like yourself myself have to basically not only do good things and come up with good ideas, but be able to spread it and
0: scale it as well.
1: So that's that's what DocSocial represents.
0: And a much-needed platform, I believe. Are you uh, teaching awake spinal fusion? Do you have uh, surgeons come visit, or how how else are you getting this uh, idea out there?
1: Yeah, that's interesting because COVID, it's, we've had some surgeons visit prior to COVID. Um, both nationally and internationally. Uh, of course, with COVID, um, I have not welcomed it because the restrictions are too much. So sure. it's really not worth it at this point. Um, I've given a lot of talks on it, uh, nationally, and internationally, um, both live as well as through, um, uh, through the computer. Um, what was interesting though was, um, sort of been, been able to test myself in that I got a call from a like, group in Oxford, England about a year or two ago. And um, in England, you know, because of COVID, they have, the NHS system is really suffering from beds. And they have a rule that if all the beds are taken, you can't perform any elective surgery where the patient's stay overnight. So they are some things, from the fact that there are many patients who needed surgery, just couldn't have surgery because they wouldn't allow them to do the surgery. The group in Oxford had called me because they were interested in doing outpatient spine surgery via the weight technique and engaged me, um, the anesthesiologist, the neurosurgeon, to teach them. And using sort of rudimentary technology tools, um, camera, doc social, we were able to teach them how to do awake surgery. So there's a sort of um, asynchronous feedback. They would tell me what they do, they would take a video of their OR, I would criticize the video, tell them to do this. And I even got on, on on a call with not only the surgeon and anesthesiologist, but the pre-op nurse, the post-op nurse, the physical therapist, you know, the whole team. And, um, It was really exciting because the NHS said to them that we'll allow you to do a weak spine surgery, but you have to do um, 10 first, collect uh, rigorous data, and if if the data looks good, we'll approve you. They just recently finished their 10th case, submitted the data, and they just recently got approved to do a weak spine surgery in England, uh, approved by the NHS. For me, that was exciting because it just shows that we can basically teach these procedures, um, virtually. You know, traditionally we, as you know, you and I both know, to learn surgical procedures, we go to a weekend cadaver course, you know, and that's limiting. We have time for that nowadays. And so the fact that we can um, teach them and get them to do it safely, uh, virtually, was
0: just exciting to me. Uh, it's beyond exciting. I mean, that's fantastic. And your ability to make a difference for those patients um, on a whole other continent is, uh, is pretty awesome. Just the connectivity of people and the ability to do that. And to some sense, in some sense, rather, I think that, you know, if you go visit in somebody else's OR or you go to a course and both of those things are fantastic, and I do both of them, it's still different than doing it in your setup, right? So your ability to help them make it work in their home OR and with everything else that's going on around their setup perioperatively is huge.
1: Yeah, and that's the challenge, right? Because um, and, and when Tom Brady is playing in his home field, he's great. But when you <laughs> go to the visitor's field, it's a whole different story. And to still be able to produce, that's the challenge, right? So, And I think that's what's so hard about um, teaching a, a process or procedure in, in healthcare.
0: Agreed. I've heard you speak about the concept of the adjacent possible, which is sort of part of what birthed the wake-spinal fusion, I believe. What are the adjacent possibles? What else should be, we be looking to in healthcare? What should I be looking to in joint replacement? I, I, I know I can't steal all your best ideas here on the podcast, but uh, <laughs> yeah. where, do, where do we need to be looking?
1: Yeah, that's a great point. That's, uh, that comes from um, Stephen Johnson's book, Where the Great Ideas Come From. And what's the next uh, iterative idea? I think a lot of times in healthcare, we get so caught up on thinking about the moonshot that we forget about the ideas that are right in front of us. Um, I think that... I can't can't tell you that I know exactly uh, what the next idea is going to be for you, but an idea that I've spoken about, Becker's has talked about, is um, this notion of, I think, uh, creating these outpatient-focused factories. Um, I think that we've shown pretty well that Um, hospitals that focus on, let's say, just orthopedics or just cancer or just eye surgery tend to have better results than general hospitals. Now I think what we need to do is, um, first of all, take a lot of surgeries that can be done in the ambulatory and move into an ASC focused on just those procedures, outpatient hips, outpatient knees, outpatient spine. But then beyond that, um, as both you and I know, to be able to do outpatient surgery requires um, optimization pre-op, as well as post-op, for example, prehab, nutrition, and then post-op. So the notion of an outpatient-focused factory is really just looking at the patients over the full spectrum of care when they first have their pain, and really try to standardize from end to end across the whole episode. If they need a procedure, have that standardized in the ASC. But the I think what the next adjacent possible idea is going to be is this sort of. I I call it a disaggregation of hospitals. Let me explain to that concept in a a, a second. But but I think what we're going to have to start seeing now are these focused um, ambulatory surgery centers focused on just doing knee replacements, just ongestion spine surgery, attached to a center of excellence. So an outpatient spine surgery, ASC, attached to a spine center. An outpatient knee replacement center attached to an arthritis center. And so you can go end-to-end on how the care is. I think what's the where this comes from is um Regina Herzler, Business Harvard Versus Professor talked about the idea of the focus factory. I think that, you know, generally is acceptance as a specific idea. But if you look at hospitals, you know, they went from this general model where they were doing cancer and GI and orthopedics and then they started focusing on just orthopedics. And then orthopedic itself is becoming specialized for joints and hand and sports and whatnot. Right. So now what you're gonna see is this this aggregation of orthopedic hospitals into these small focus factories focus on one area of work I think that's the next adjacent possible idea in healthcare
0: very interesting so you'll have a bigger center that will be like almost a population management type set for musculoskeletal care or for eye care or for whatever and then you'll have sub- subdivisions of that to handle particular surgical events Correct. Neat. Correct. So then you have an ASC just devoted as
1: doing knees or just doing hips or just, just hips and knees. And you have an ASC just devoted doing spine surgery or now there's eight cardiac there are a lot of cardiology procedures that you've done in ASCs. So and you just focus on that over and over again. So the staff the staff just knows that but from a research perspective you're very efficient. You know, and I think that the quality of care is going to be better. In that particular situation,
0: Dr. Sharon, thank you so much for joining us uh, and for sharing uh, about not only your great thoughts on healthcare, but this truly interesting process with awake spinal fusion for people that want to find you. How do they get in touch?
1: Oh, great. Thank you. Now, if you're, I would encourage everyone to come to my website, www.awake and you can um, connect with me there. Uh, As as you and I both know, we we are both very um. We we both we both use LinkedIn very very commonly, so of course people can reach out to me there as well.
0: Well, I appreciate you uh, sharing with us, and I appreciate your patience in uh, walking me through the spine portion of this. Uh, It's been great talking to you. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. It's been great. I really appreciate it. Nice to meet you. Thank you for joining us for this installment of Ortho Real. Remember to like and share this podcast.